Welcome to EtherCast, the podcast for WFIU's Ether Game. I'm Christopher Burris. If you listen to our quiz on Tuesday evenings, you know that after guessing the title or composers of certain pieces, we have a bonus trivia question, and that often those questions can be answered pretty quick. There are questions that focus on the who, the when, and the where in classical music, so to speak. But what about the why and the how? That's what EtherCast is for. We're going to ask and answer some questions about classical music that require a bit of a deeper dive. Today's question, why do orchestras need conductors? I'll do it with the, with the tuba. Three, four. You can do more. You can do more. You can give it all you got. They're, they're giving all they got. Come on. Here you go. Three, you talk big, but you don't last. <laughs> that was Leonard Bernstein leading the BBC Radio Orchestra through rehearsal in 1982. If you ever speak with folks who don't spend much time attending orchestra concerts, you've probably heard these questions asked. What's the point of the conductor? Aren't professional musicians skilled enough to count their own music? And why does the orchestra need a leader when they've already got a concertmaster? Most classical music lovers know some form of the short answer to this question, that conductors are actually keepers of order in the face of what would otherwise be musical and administrative chaos. But a lot of folks don't know how conductors came to be a necessary part of the orchestra or the full depth of the role up there on the podium. Here's a great way to see why conductors are important. We're going to listen to a bit of two opera overtures, two pieces of music in the same genre. Today, you might even hear them in the same concert hall, but they're divided by about a century and a half of music history. This is the opening of Atis, a French Baroque opera by Jean-Baptiste Lully. Now, before Luli, you might have seen a composer sitting at the keyboard and leading the singers and instrumentalists from the pit with whatever signals the group decided on in rehearsal or with a rolled-up piece of sheet music because the groups were small enough that everyone could follow each other. But when Luli became head of the French royal opera for Louis XIV, you'd probably see him standing at the front of the pit with a special conducting staff called the Batteur de Mesure, which, kind of like a drum major for a marching band, he would use the staff to beat the tempo changes in the air for both the singers and the musicians in the pit. Now this is about the closest thing we have to modern conducting from early music history, so let's jump ahead to some Wagner, where sometimes it seems like the conductor could use a third arm. We'll join the Boston Symphony Orchestra here in the middle of the overture to Tannhäuser, conducted by Andras Nelsons.
I listen to this and two things strike me automatically. The symphony sounds so much bigger than the French Baroque Orchestra, and the music is much more complex. Both these changes, the size of the orchestra and the complexity of the music, are really the key to the need for a conductor. The Baroque Orchestra could be tiny, maybe as little as eight musicians and uh, certainly no more than 40, but the modern symphony orchestra is usually between 60 and 100 musicians. As orchestras got bigger and composers started adding more parts to the score, it became impossible for members of the orchestra to keep track of everything that was going on, and so over time a leader was appointed to stand at the front of the orchestra and cue what the score indicated with hand signals. Now I don't want you to think that this makes the conductor seem like some kind of robot that just stands at the front and shows everybody the big picture version of what's happening in the score. A conductor is much, much more than that. The essence of conducting, the reason people go to music school and get degrees in conducting, is because of one kind of ambiguous word, and that word is interpretation. A couple weeks ago, the Metropolitan Opera performed Debussy's only opera, Pelias et Melisande, and their new conductor, Yannick Nézé Seguin, had some ideas about interpreting Debussy's music. Here are the hosts of the live Saturday broadcast at the Met, Mary Jo Heath and Iris Sif talking about it. Well, Ira, you and I were both noticing and commenting that Maestro Nézé Sagan is not using a baton yes. to conduct this opera. I, I feel like he sculpts the music with his hands, is the feeling when you watch him conduct it. Mm-hmm. I had a chance to ask him about it. He mm-hmm. said yes. He really wanted to do it this way, and he knew it was somewhat of a risk, but as you say, it, rather than those uh, hard, sharp attacks, it's kind of like a a surging of sound that yes. really fits this score and, and the story as well, doesn't it? Yes. So this big picture interpretation of the score, that Debussy's music is supposed to sound dreamy and a little mystical, it's the responsibility of the conductor to find a way to make it happen across the whole orchestra. And Maestro Seguin's solution was to conduct without a baton, making himself and the orchestra vulnerable to possible mistakes. But because as a conductor, you spend so much time studying the music of these great composers, you develop the confidence to find creative ways to get what you want from your orchestra. In this case, using your hands to get the music to sound a little fuzzy and dreamy, just like the stage action suggests in Debussy's opera. So we'll shut the book on conductors for now, folks, but I'll leave you with this suggestion. Sometimes professional orchestras offer discount tickets to watch dress rehearsals in their home concert halls. You can usually find out on their websites. And if you have the opportunity to see a professional orchestra or opera rehearse, it is worth the trip. You can see for yourself how much power the conductor wields and how most of their work is done in rehearsal sculpting the way the orchestra plays to the way the conductor hears the music in their head. For the Ether Game Brain Trust, I'm Christopher Burris. Join me next time for more EtherCast, and tune in to WFIU or stream online at 8 o'clock Tuesday nights for Ether Game. Thanks for listening.